You're listening to the Pastor Writer Podcast, episode 34. Before we jump into our topic today, I want to let you know about another book giveaway I'm running. You can now enter to win the entire Eugene Peterson book collection. I've gathered 18 of Eugene Peterson's books. The only thing I haven't included is a copy of the Message Bible and a few of the compiled devotionals. There's no single writer who has had more of a formative impact on my identity as pastor and writer than Eugene Peterson. In an interview with Owen Strachan posted on the Gospel Coalition website, Peterson said this about the vocation of pastor and writer. Quote, You have to decide if you're a writer or not. I'm a writer because I'm a writer. I can't say it didn't make any difference to me whether I was published or not, but I was rejected for 10 years before I ever published. Publishers would suggest ways that I could make this more marketable, and I knew I couldn't do that. I have to write honestly about what I'm doing, and most of those books that were rejected were later published, sometimes by the same publishers. A lot of people ask me that question. How can you do all you did and still write? Well, how does an alcoholic drink and still hold down a job? That's what you do. You have a 3 by 5 card in your pocket, and you're stopped at a red light, and there's a phrase, and you've got it down. Or you're sitting in an emergency room in the hospital, and it takes two hours before your patient is ready to see you, but you're writing. Writing is a vocation. It's not just a way to get published. I knew from early on that I was a writer. I didn't know what that meant. I did have a sense that it meant something about the integrity of the gospel and none of this cheap Bible exegesis or propagandizing the gospel. I wanted to get into the whole story and the whole Bible. So I don't think that's a very good question to ask a writer. Why do you write? You write because there's fire in your bones. You've got to do this whether anybody ever reads it or not. If you're looking for whether you're going to be published, you're probably cheapening what you're doing. I think you see why Eugene Peterson has meant so much to me as a writer. You can enter the Eugene Peterson book giveaway by going to pastorwriter.com Peterson. By sharing the link, you can earn additional entries for friends that sign up as well. I also want to take some time to thank listeners who have left reviews on iTunes and Facebook. Reviews are really important for helping new listeners find the show. Recently, one reviewer wrote, I'm new to this podcast, but have thoroughly enjoyed the episodes I've listened to. It gives me hope. As a struggling part-time minister and part-time writer, it's easy to lose sight of why I do what I do. Pastor Writer puts a little light on my path and helps guide the way. Keep up the good work. I wanted to say thanks for reviews like that. It's exactly why I'm doing the show. If you haven't had a chance, I would love for you to be able to leave one. I would really appreciate it if you did. The feedback helps me to continue making improvements and others to discover the episodes. Now, on to our topic, the importance of an opening sentence. If you don't mind, I'd like to stick with Eugene Peterson for our first example. Peterson released his memoir titled The Pastor in 2012. The book literally changed the trajectory of my life and my image of what a pastor should be. The book is 336 pages and tells the story of Peterson's calling from his earliest childhood through his retirement. Imagine yourself sitting down with that task to tell the story of your life. Where would you start? Let's get the most obvious option out of the way. Peterson could have begun, I was born November 6, 1932, and why not take it one more step further into the boredom, and some might tack on a description about the weather. It was a dark and stormy night, as the cliche goes. Instead, Peterson demonstrates why he's such a great writer. He begins his memoir with this sentence, Pastor Pete, Pastor Pete, it's Pastor Pete. 
And the second sentence? The chorus of exclamations came from the mouths of half a dozen children, their faces pressed to the glass of our living room window. These voices, excited and clamorous, entered my gut with a feeling of poignant loss. I knew that I would never hear myself addressed that way again. Pastor. There's a lot to like about that opening paragraph. Peterson, who has sold millions of books and is admired by fans as great as the musician Bono, opens his life story with the words of local kids. It's exactly the humble and local image of a pastor the book seeks to present. The kids, looking through the glass of his living room window, just as the book seeks to offer readers the same view into the interior life of Peterson and his calling. The cover of the book lists the author as Eugene H. Peterson. Often, he's also given the title Doctor, holding an MA in Semitic languages and honorary degrees from several universities. Yet the title he opens with is Pastor Pete. It's the introduction he prefers. It's his introduction to his own story. Against the children's excitement, he juxtaposes a sense of loss. That title, which he has come to love, Pastor, is one that he is now losing. He feels it in his gut. The loss hints again at another of the book's great themes, how the church too has lost its sense of what a pastor is and does. Peterson doesn't begin at the beginning of his life. He begins at the end of his career as a pastor. Immediately, we sense that what follows is cast as a reflection. These will be the words of a man offering the wisdom of a lifetime. That opening paragraph is 62 words, 334 characters. That's 334 letters in a manuscript of 336 pages. Yet those opening words in so many ways tell the entire story of Peterson's life. The book in a single paragraph. Hopefully you see why I think it's such a great start for such an important book. If you read books on writing, eventually one of the books you're going to come across is Stephen King's book on writing. It's ironic because I've never read any of Stephen King's novels, but I have read his book on writing those novels. At times, the book is crass and profane, but there's a reason it's so often recommended. King's advice is honest, and you can tell it's been hard-earned. King is said to have spent months, even sometimes years, working on the first lines of some of his more well-known novels. The Atlantic once asked King about his interest in this topic of first sentences, and King explained this. There are all sorts of theories and ideas about what constitutes a good opening line. It's a tricky thing and tough to talk about because I don't think conceptually while I work on first drafts. I just write them. To get scientific about it is a little like trying to catch moonbeams in a jar. But there's one thing I am sure about. An opening line should invite the reader to begin the story. It should say, listen, come in here. You want to know about this. How can a writer extend an appealing invitation? one that's difficult even to refuse. A book won't stand or fall on the very first line of prose. The story has got to be there, and that's the real work. And yet, a really good first line can do so much to establish that crucial sense of voice. It's the first thing that equates you, that makes you eager, that starts to enlist you for the long haul. So there's incredible power in it when you say, come in here. You want to know about this, and someone begins to listen. What King acknowledges is that there is embedded power in how you start, the first sentence. And as a writer, one of the best things you can do is pay close attention to the first sentence of every book you read. 
Pay attention to which ones move you quickly into the topic and which ones you find yourself willing to skip over. Go to the bookstore. Stand in front of the bookcases, pick up books that you love, and read the first sentences. See how they start. I'm obsessed with looking at these opening sentences. Working on this episode, I literally stood in front of my bookshelves for over 30 minutes, opening book after book and rereading the opening lines. As King pointed out, there's no way to be scientific about writing these verses. You have to get a feel for it. And by no means does my interest in the topic mean I've mastered its execution. But for the sake of helping you learn to appreciate the masters, I want to work through some of the common approaches to first sentences. Universally, the recommendation is to begin with action. That's not just advice for novelists. Even nonfiction writers should find a way to open with a hook. Find a way to drop the reader into the issue as quickly as possible. Don't fall into the trap of taking too long to set things up. Say it first, explain it second. Get the reader into the topic and into the drama as quickly as possible. It's not exhaustive, but I have six possible ways I think that you could start a nonfiction book. Let's work through them. First, start with a surprise. One of the most famous opening lines is J.D. Salinger's first sentence in Catcher in the Rye. Here's how it goes. If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born and what my lousy childhood was like and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me. And all that David Copperfield crap, but I don't feel like going into it, if you want to know the truth. That's one sentence, the first sentence. It's surprising because of its sarcasm. Salinger mocks the cliché opening of a novel. His character knows the expectation of how he's supposed to begin, introducing himself with problems in his childhood, but he simply refuses to do it. He mocks it instead. It's hard not to be enticed by that opening line. If the narrator is willing to be that honest in the first sentence, we find ourselves wanting to know what else he's willing to talk about. Or take, for example, the way John Piper opens his book on fasting, A Hunger for God. Piper opens with the sentence, Beware of books on fasting. A much shorter sentence, but used for the same effect. Ironic, considering that it's the first sentence in a book on fasting. You can do this too. Think about the topic of the story you're working on. What is the cliche expectation a reader might have about how they would expect that book to begin? Can you turn it upside down and surprise the reader by doing what they least expected? Option number two, start with something dramatic. I love the way C.S. Lewis opens the screw tape letters. If you were writing a book about correspondences between two demonic tempters, you might feel the need to start with a less dark introduction. You'd probably feel the impulse to explain to the reader that this is a parody, that you don't really know what demons are saying to one another, but this is supposed to be satirical possibilities. But Lewis isn't that insecure, at least not in the final copy of the book. Lewis doesn't break character even in the narration of the preface. His first sentence is this. I have no intention of explaining how the correspondence, which I now offer to the public, fell into my hands. It's every bit as dramatic as the demonic letters that follow it in the book. He opens in secrecy and intrigue. The drama pulls you in. I want to offer a word of caution with this one. Drama can easily become melodrama. The goal is not to be sensational or dramatic. You have to be careful. But if you can find a way to demonstrate the true significance of your topic, then drama can be a powerful way of hooking the reader's attention. Ask yourself, what's at stake for the reader? Option number three, start with a bit of philosophy. 
This is a favorite tactic of novelists, but you can employ the same for nonfiction work as well. Take the famous opening line from Tolstoy's Anna Karenina. Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Or take the opening line from A River Runs Through It. In our family, there was no clear line between religion and fly fishing. Both of those lines immediately demonstrate that the book you are about to read offers deeper thoughts than you've given to that particular topic. It's also common for nonfiction writers to do this with an opening quote. How do you not love that Tim Keller opens his monumental work on apologetics, Reasons for God, with this quote, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Source, Darth Vader. Malcolm Gladwell opens his book, Outliers, with a dictionary-formatted definition of the word. Outlier, something that is situated away from or classed differently from a main or related body. How can you get your reader thinking more deeply about the topic from the very first sentence? How can you pose a question or a thought that invites the reader to consider something they may not have previously considered that deeply? As a side note, it seems like those books that employ this philosophical question to begin often turn quickly to something more lighthearted. Be careful not to drag the reader too quickly into the deep end. Give them a glimpse of the depth and then lead them to the steps and take them in one step at a time. Option number four. An opening sentence is the perfect place to demonstrate the writer's voice. If your voice is unique, there's no better place to introduce it than the first sentence. Forgive me for using another Eugene Peterson example, but it's a good one. His voice is a significant part of what's made his writing so influential. Here's how he opens his book, Under the Unpredictable Plant. In my 30th year, and four years into my ordination, an abyss opened up before me. A gaping crevice it was. Do you mind if I read a little further? Here's how he continues. I had been traveling along a path of personal faith in Jesus Christ since childhood. In adulthood and entering my life work, the path widened into an isionic highway in the wilderness, a vocation in gospel ministry. You immediately get a sense of Peterson's voice. Finding a new writer with a voice as distinct as Peterson is a rare discovery, I remember vividly where I was the first time I read words written by Annie Dillard. Here's how she opens The Writing Life. She begins with, When you write, you lay out a line of words. The line of words is a miner's pick, a woodcarver's gouge, a surgeon's probe. You wield it, and it digs a path you follow. Soon, you find yourself deep in new territory. Is it a dead end? Or have you located the real subject? You will know tomorrow or this time next year. Annie Dillard is in a class of her own when it comes to writing, particularly in these opening sentences. That opening sentence is remarkable. When you write, you lay out a line of words. The opening sentence is ten words itself, all of them single syllable, yet the voice is completely unique and undeniably hers. Let's be honest with ourselves for a second. I'm not Eugene Peterson, or certainly not Annie Dillard when it comes to writing. I'm not sure I'll ever write a sentence that I'm as proud of as I would be that one. But it's worth the occasional effort. If you can write a sentence with that kind of voice, why not put it front and center? Option number five, start with a story. This one has to make the list, but honestly, it's so common I worry that it's losing its power to hook. Probably half the Christian books I picked up open with some sort of a narrative. Take this example from Gordon MacDonald's Ordering Your Private World. He writes, 
One Saturday morning in my 30th year, an event occurred that changed my life. Or Philip Yancey opens his book on prayer with, I chose the wrong time to visit St. Petersburg, Russia. Brennan Manning, who has a great voice and knack for writing, begins his ragamuffin gospel by writing, On a blustery October night in a church outside Minneapolis, several hundred believers had gathered for a three-day seminar. There's no disputing the power of story, especially in a nonfiction book that will spend most of its time making and defending propositional arguments. Stories are a compelling way to offer humanity and empathy to the arguments. Of all of the options on my list, this is probably the place to begin. Go for it. There's a reason it's so commonly used. Stories are a great way to draw readers in to what you're about to say. Number six, detail, detail, detail. If you choose to go the route of story, one way to differentiate your opening is through detail. At this art, Flannery O'Connor may be the greatest master. Here is how she opens her novel, The Violent Bear It Away. Remember, this is one sentence. Francis Marion Tarwater's uncle had been dead for only half a day when the boy got too drunk to finish digging his grave, and a Negro named Buford Munson, who had come to get a jug filled, had to finish it and drag the body from the breakfast table where it was still sitting and bury it in a decent and Christian way with the sign of its savior at the head of the grave and enough dirt on top to keep the dogs from digging it up. Writing a sentence like that takes immense skill and work, but the rewards, as I think you see in this example, are worth it. That absolutely catches your attention as the reader. If you haven't read it, you need to pick up Roy Peter Clark's Writing Tools, 55 Essential Strategies for Every Writer. His 14th tool is to, quote, get the name of the dog. It's his way of saying, pay attention to the details of a story. Offering details brings an otherwise dull story to vivid life. It's the difference between a reader being bored with the story and interested. In John Hershey's opening of Hiroshima, he uses detail to capture a global and historical event, an event hard for us to comprehend in more human terms. He writes this, At exactly 15 minutes past 8 in the morning, on August 6, 1945, Japanese time, at the moment when the atomic bomb flashed over Hiroshima, Mrs. Toshiko Sasaki, a clerk in the personnel department of East Asia Tin Works, had just sat down at her place in the plant office and was turning her head to speak to the girl at the desk next to her. From the flash of the century's most defining moment, Hershey works his way down to the details of clock hands and the particular desk of a particular clerk at a particular company. Detail detail, detail. Find out the name of the dog and use it. By no means has this list been comprehensive, just six options. There are plenty of other ways that you could begin a work. What matters most is not even that you choose from my list of options. What matters is that you take the time to make the most of your start. Be intentional. How can you help a reader connect from the very first word with everything that you'll write? Try different openings. Rearrange paragraphs. Move something unexpected to the front. Find ways to hook the reader from the very first words and expose them to everything that's to come. But more than anything else, I hope what this list has done is pique your interest to gather your own list of best opening sentences. I hope you'll pay more attention to the opening sentences of the books you love, and by gathering your own, maybe inspired to create your own great first sentences. I'll leave you with one more example. 
Many of you know that I'm currently working on a writing project about the life of David. My goal is to show how David's life is really the struggle of integrity, of reconciling his public life with his private world. I've gone through several iterations of that first opening sentence and paragraph, but this is the one that I'm currently working on. It goes like this. You are the man, a dagger thrust with unflinching conviction, a double-edged blade, just two words in its original Hebrew, your him, revealing and inescapable. The paragraph continues, the prophet Nathan had done what for decades David had managed to evade. With just two words, the complexity of David's divided life, private and public, was finally collapsed into a single moment of integrity, bare, raw, and faithfully true. That opening sentence could be better. I'm not done with it. I think I'll probably make some additional changes. Even reading it, I find ways that it could probably be tightened and improved. The point is, give your first sentence the attention that it deserves. Rework it. Rewrite it. Try new things. Keep exploring. Read it to somebody and see how it feels. Put it away. Come back to it. Make sure you make the most of your first sentence. Thanks for listening to the Pastor Writer Podcast. I hope this episode has been helpful in how you think about beginning your next writing project or going back and starting new one that you're currently working on. I would appreciate it if you would leave a review of the podcast or drop by and just tell me what you're working on. You can connect on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, or through the website. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 34. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.